building crashed for about two months as demand came away from the market in that March, April, early pandemic. And then builders were essentially playing catch up as demand poured into all these markets, both from a low starting point and taking their foots off the gas. And then when you add in all the supply chain issues, lumber mills shutting down, various delays from appliances or products from overseas, lead times turned from like three months to six months, markets that were six months or 12 months. There was all these homes that were working through the process and they're all starting to come finish about now as demand's pulling out. Hey friends, welcome back to the CarrotCast podcast. The second Tuesday of every month, we're bringing you Carrots Market Harvest. We're bringing you the real estate industry data and insights that matter. I'm your host, Brady Winder, and today I have with me Mr. Tyler Ford and Nick Schoolis. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, Brady. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Um, so real quick housekeeping before we get started, uh, it's Mindset Month at Carrot. So go to carrot.com slash mindset. You can see our best content videos, blog articles on how to shape up your mindset, uh, marketing mindset, and a whole lot more. So a lot of good content there. Um, and if you like this content, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, our YouTube channel. And if you like this market harvest, go to carrot.com slash harvest, and you can actually get the data report that we're going to be sharing on this show, as well as check out past market harvest. Um, but anyways, um, something we're going to be talking about today is when will homes become more affordable again? Well, when will housing become affordable again? It's a little bit doom and gloom, uh, but we have Nick from, uh, is it Zonda Homes? Zonda Home? Yep. Um, give me just a little bit of a primer about what you do at Zonda Home. Sure. And what so, is Zonda is. Starting broadly, Zonda is a multifaceted consultancy firm as well as a data provider, uh, the largest data provider in the new home space specifically. Uh, so we do a lot of work with huge builders and, and in that space, my job particularly, I'm the manager of housing economics. So I work with our chief economist to kind of guide our national picture. And then we also assist on more local projects with local experts and people across the country. Hmm. Awesome. Thank you for that. So are you say huge builders? Is this um, single family and multifamily commercial, all of it? Yeah. So as a company, we work in both. Mine is primarily single family. We have a separate multifamily team out of Texas that handles that, those big apartment complexes uh, side of the business. But yeah, so primarily like the really big guys like Lennar, DR Horton, et cetera. Okay. Awesome. Sweet. So you are day in, day out, deep in data into single family building. That's perfect. Yep. Um, all right. So uh, one of the things I want to we like to go over real quick on the market harvest is the data that we're seeing internally at Carrot, and then we'll jump into our our topic for this episode. Um, we'll kind of go over what we're seeing in motivated seller lead trends uh, at Carrot. So uh, if you look at what I'm sharing here, um, this is the number of visitors, the number of people we have to Carrot sites over the last thirty to sixty days. And so what you'll notice is this slight trend uh, or this slight downward trend. Um, from about summer up until now, uh, we're late, we're mid-November at the time of recording this, uh, but the number of people visiting carrot sites has dipped slightly over the last month or so, which is pretty typical as we head into the winter season, Christmas, holidays start to approach, and there's a little bit less people searching. Uh, seller, mo seller motivation goes down a little bit as it gets colder. Um, would you agree with that, Tyler? Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, there's some seasonality as it gets colder, closer to the holidays. People just don't want to be inconvenienced or hassled, and they wait until after the 
holidays, if they're motivated to kind of rip the Band-Aid off and come to reality and things really start to pick up after the first of the year. Mm, But it is a good time because motivated seller leads this time of year, the motivation is really, really high if they are reaching out. So uh, mm. I've picked up some really good deals between like Thanksgiving and and uh, Christmas time, just because the motivation is 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 a lot higher if they are reaching out. Interesting, less less leads to weed through. Hmm. Um, so we're seeing a very similar trend with uh, trend with leads, except for the drop's been a little bit more noticeable from August to uh, in November. The number of leads generated through care sites has dipped slightly over the last one to two months. Uh, which again is typical as we head into winter season and might be indicative of this housing affordability uh, and availability issues that we're going to be talking about because if you're selling your house, what's your next option? That's what we're going to talk about. Um, And then here's a quick overview of uh, visitors uh, by channel, um, marketing channels. Where are people coming from? Um, So what you'll see here is that the, the lion's share of visitors are coming from direct so this is your offline marketing working for you. People entering your website directly, maybe from um, direct mail or they, you know, word of mouth, magnet on the fridge and organic Google search. So direct and organic Google search is dominating for our care members. Um, and direct is, yeah, direct is your offline marketing efforts. And then we have, you know, paid search, et cetera. Um, and as far as where are the most leads coming from right now, um, very similar to the graph above, you'll see that SEO efforts continue to yield the best results for care members as organic leads uh, heavily outweigh the other sources. So we have organic search is about 35% of the leads that are coming in. Uh, Paid search is 22%. So paid search is including uh, Google pay-per-click, Facebook ads like Facebook retargeting retargeting ads, et cetera. Uh, And then the smaller ones, we have social, of course, direct in there too. So that's where the bulk of the leads are coming from for care members. And Average leads uh, per carrot member over the last 30 days versus the month before, uh, 12.6, down a little bit, but lines up with the other data that we're seeing right now. Um, So that being said, um, Nicholas, I want to kick it over to you, man. Um, What are you guys seeing? What's what's interesting to you guys right now as far as this whole conversation of when is when is housing going to become affordable again? I mean, I think it's uh, obviously the number one topic that everyone's trying to understand and come to come to terms with is because what we're seeing and hearing is that there is generally a lot of demand in the market. It's just the numbers don't pencil for the vast majority of people. And so it's about kind of when can we get to a point that they do. So the chart on the screen, which shows the median resale uh, single family mortgage payment to income ratio uh, this is kind of how we refer to affordability rather than the top line prices, because as we've seen over the past six, eight months, rates <laughs> really matter. Uh, the What people can afford on a monthly basis is kind of how, for most people, uh, home purchases are processed. Obviously, the cash buyers are a, a completely different breed in that sense, but we've vastly supported uh, surpass where we were prior to the Great Recession in that lead up as rates. This estimate is using 7% for the current payment. We're at about 35% median. So that's even in more affordable housing markets where we're at a historically high level. So going forward, we either need to see big price cuts, big rate decreases, 
or some combination of both to get it to a more palatable uh, place. Hmm. And this is average. So what's, um, give me an idea of like average home price. I'm on West Coast. You're looking at paying maybe 300,000, 350,000 for a two, three bedroom, you know, middle class home. Uh, what's average here? Yeah, the typical medium nationally is about 350, 400, depending on the source and mm-hmm. what uh, is being estimated. Uh, I believe it was about, I want to say, I can't recall 100%, but NAR releases the data monthly of what the median and average uh, home that was sold in the previous month. I want to say it was like high threes and then the new was mid high fours, uh, which is reported by the census. So a little bit different, but that's kind of the range we're looking at nationally. Hmm. And Tyler, that this is, um, you're, you used to be, or are a Dave Ramsey coach. What's, what's his rule of thumb? Uh, no more than 30% of your income. Yeah, mortgage DTI payment? about oh, and a fifteen-year fixed. If if and and that, that's been a real fix. challenge, I mean that's <laughs> kind of thrown out the window. But uh, it was already a challenge, and then this graph you see it just boom, it just oh. crashes right over the thirty percent mark. With home values going up, coupled with interest rates, it's just hard for most people. I mean, the the solution is buy a less expensive home, or come in with more money, or do a combination of both. Um, you know what we're also seeing a lot of sellers and buyers doing now are seller concessions to either buy down the rate or lighten the load in terms of money that a buyer's got to come out of pocket in terms of offering seller concessions. So seller concessions are starting to come back around and and we're seeing a lot of that now uh, uh, between buyer and seller, uh, seller concessions. Hmm. Um, so Nick, I know you have some other data prepared that you'd like to share here. Um, when you mo- when you want to move on, just let me know. But I, I had a couple questions for you. Um, I would like to add something to what Tyler just said about yeah, concessions because uh, concessions are pretty typical, even in good times for builders of some si- of some kind, because they're competing with each other. Uh, whether it's some credit towards appliances or something like that, but now we are seeing a lot of rate buy downs, basically offering some kind of like adjustable rate mortgage over the first two years to kind of maybe lower the payment initially. And then in the longer term, maybe offering the perspective or prospective chances of refinancing. Uh, we're basically seeing over 90% of builders that we work with offering concessions now, which is super, super high. Uh, and across all the projects we track, which are about 15,000, 16,000, over half of them are openly marketing concessions. So that's not even when you get in there, if they're, you're working with the salespeople, they're offering you some concessions, openly marketing, which is the highest we've ever seen. Uh, builders really like to keep that top line price. So when good times come around again, they can start building on that price again. Uh, so they offer concessions as a way to kind of maybe close the gap, as Tyler said. Uh, but yeah, we're seeing a ton of that. Hmm. Has building, what's the speed of building like right now compared to through the pandemic, through all these supply chain issues? Are contractors ramping up? Like what's, we're still, how many homes are we short? Like 5 million, something like that? Uh, our estimate is, I mean, everyone's estimate is different. Ours is about one and a half to two million. We're short nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends, obviously, how you can count second homes and how you count uh, homes losing their functionality over time and stuff like that. So there's various inputs. I personally like the number around 1.5 to 2 million. So we're definitely short. Uh, but the, as for far as building goes, it's been really interesting two years, two and a half years in that sense, because we were undersupplied going into the pandemic. 
And then building crashed for about two months as demand came away from the market in that March, April, early pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then builders were essentially playing catch up as demand poured into all these markets, uh, both from a low starting point and taking their foots off the gas. And then when you add in all the supply chain issues, lumber mills shutting down, uh, various delays from appliances or products from overseas, uh, lead times turned from like three months to six months, markets that were six months or 10, uh, 12 months. So there was all this, all these homes that were working through the process and they're all starting to come finish about now as demand's pulling out. Mm. So it's really interesting that we're seeing this buildup of what we call QMIs or which are quick move-ins, homes that can be moved in within three or so months. Uh, so we're seeing that start to pile up. But when you look further out from that, we're seeing builders start to pull back on both starting, permitting, and other homes that are further out in the process. So kind of hedging their risk in that sense. But if demand turns around, will they be prepared again? Or will we be entering another situation where the construction is kind of behind the eight ball? Nick, I've got a question for you. Is, is, has there been a fallout rate with uh, interest rates going up and people no longer being able to qualify because of DTI and people just having to walk away? Super. Yeah. Cancellations are starting to get really high. It does depend on geography more so. Uh, places like Phoenix and Denver and stuff are seeing really high cancellation rates uh, just because simply, as you said, they'll look at a home. The rates will be what they were when they're looking at it by the time they get through escrow and all that, the rates may be 100 basis points higher and they can't afford the payment anymore. So cancellations are rapidly rising. And what builders are finding is early on in the pandemic, you had a cancellation, you're selling the home for more than you had it originally negotiated for. Now there's a struggle to resell that canceled home. So yeah, definitely. Hmm. That's wild. Yeah. I would think that See, I would have thought the opposite, that building would be, you know, picking up just because of the shortage in general, that contractors would sort of push through that despite demand being lower. I would think that contractors would be going after, um, that the strategy would shift towards cheaper, faster homes. Is that happening at all for the people who are still building? Yeah, for sure. We call it right sizing, which is essentially building homes smaller, but maybe pricing in a higher per square footage. Mm -hmm. Um, So you maybe either keep the top line stagnant or lower. So you're eventually bringing down the monthly payment, but you're still being able to pass along increases at over time. And especially recently, we're seeing the the average square footage of home come down, even in markets that are notoriously big builders, like in Texas, like you're still seeing the average size come down. Uh, and it's just a long-term affordable, a long-term affordability play is that's just, as mm-hmm. Tyler said earlier, that's a way that you can kind of accommodate the, the affordability problem. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out over the long term. Because if you look at, you know, since 60s and 70s up until now, average home size just went through the roof. I mean, our home size more than doubled, if I'm correct. And and so, but our generation values more that minimalism is smaller. Um, and so it's, it seems to be kind of leveling back out. Anyways, um, you've got a couple other interesting slides here. I want to toss it over to you, Nick. What's, um, what's going on here? Sure. Uh, basically... Since we are starting to see price cuts in the market, uh, we wanted to kind of help visualize the average cut needed to return to payments at certain levels when demand was really, really strong. 
So this is for year end, looking at December 22. Uh, I kind of circled the little peak there. On the right, this is our new home pending sales index, which is basically a gauge of the new home market in terms of both volume and uh, rate of sales. In the new home side, builders like to track like how many homes they're selling per project, uh, maybe a little more so than volume, although volume is still important. So we combine them into one metric. The index value is basically a representation of the percent above or below the baseline value. So in December, January 22, 20, December 21, January 22, we were selling about 60% more or faster than we were in the baseline of 2016. And so on the left, looking back over, this is the price cut needed to return to that affordability level based on the rates listed. So at a 7% rate, which we're currently at, actually a little bit higher, uh, we would need to cut prices on average 40% across the country. Mm. And as, as you can see, as rates come down, there is still some affordability relief. But realistically, that level of affordability that we saw at year end is probably not super realistic. Mm -hmm. So if we click forward to one more slide, this is returning to the level we saw in May. So this is already after rates had started to go up as well as some additional price increases. But you can see, at least on the new home side, sales were still really strong and, and at a very acceptable rate. So above where we were prior to the pandemic, um, this is more in reality. Uh, at 7%, we need to cut rates on average or prices on average 15%. At six, just about six or 7%. And if we get down back to 5% rate, we can actually increase prices again to get back to that level of affordability. Um, hmm. I wouldn't necessarily classify the May level as quote unquote affordable, but it is more attainable. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. This is a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more realistic, as you said. <laughs> um, so what is on the scene as like, is, is there an answer? Tyler, you got your crystal ball. Is there an yeah, answer? Let's, let's see. They'll throw out that crystal ball and give it to us. When will homes become affordable again? <laughs> um, it's this... a good question. I mean, before we, we started recording, we were talking offline about the lock-in effect. And it's kind of how you get a lot of people to start selling again. Because to get in a more affordable place, you really either need big price cuts, which historically only come with big job losses, which not super ideal because that affects demand as well, or rates coming down. And I don't think rates will be what they were <laughs> in the boom of the pandemic, sub 3%. And if we do get there, that means something very wrong has happened along the way in terms of our economic output. Uh, <clears throat> so really, we just need to weather the, the current storm uh, in terms of what rates are doing. And as far as the Fed pushing the federal funds rate higher and sustaining or trying to bring inflation down, or we need to consider more right-sizing, more infill development, higher density, maybe a, a smaller square footage where we can bring that top-line price down and hence the monthly payment down. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, there are options. It's just, it, it sounds like we can't, I mean, obviously it's it's the definition of insanity. We can't keep doing what we've been. I say we as if I'm a home builder, um, but we can't keep building homes the way we have been and expect it to turn out well. We've got to explore other options like right-sizing. I like that. Tyler, you have any questions? For, I was going to throw you a question. Uh, no, I mean, I, I agree with Nick on the investment side. You know, I'm a hybrid agent. 80% of what I do is on the investment side, motivated seller leads. 
But the big challenge I'm seeing, you know, for the last two years, we've had the challenge of low inventory. And so sellers didn't need us. And uh, my leads dwindled just because it was easier for somebody to sell. Now what we're seeing, like Nick said, is rate lock, where the majority of the leads that we're getting are people that uh, have a vacant home or maybe a rental home, people that aren't living in the home because people right now that are living in the home that are maybe motivated are less likely to get off a really, really low rate because now they've got the challenge of potentially having to buy something else and their rates, rates have gone up 4% since the beginning of the year, which is, it has a huge impact to payment. So the lead flow in terms of the type of the lead, as far as motivated seller leads, uh, the ones that I've been getting are have changed dramatically to where I'm not getting a lot of owner-occupied leads, but vacants and and uh, probate and you know people that have inherited a home and or maybe a tired landlord that uh, has just done with their rental property. So th mm. th that's what I'm seeing in terms of my lead flow. Is it um, is it changing your strategy at all? Or are you still moving forward with the same strategy? Well, still moving forward. You know, I've become a lot more conservative. I got hit pretty hard in 07, 08, where I was over leveraged. We had a lot of rehabs going on. And so I'm treading lightly. And uh, to me, yeah. it's, a, it's a hot potato. Uh, you know, it's a musical chair in terms of, uh, you know, everything we do, we buy and sell. We don't do any major rehabs. Uh, I, we hotel a lot of what we do where we just do light cleanup and then relist in the MLS or sell to an investor. So yeah, I, I, I just, I'm cautiously, I'm more on the conservative side just because I got hit pretty hard on the last go around. Uh, and we've seen about an eight to a 10% pullback here in, in my local market in terms of home values. But uh, again, like Nick said, we still have a long way to go in order to get people to a payment that they can afford and or a debt to income ratio that will allow them to buy uh, you know, homes based on the current prices. Yeah, you almost need to see double that cut, like yep. double that for it to become more affordable, according to Next Data. With with pricing, it's really interesting because historically, especially in the existing side, prices are very elastic. People just stay in the home, as you said. Most of your leads are vacant home people. Um, with existing homes, until they can't make the payments anymore, people just typically ride out the storm, and they just won't cut prices that much. But we saw such a huge equity boom over the past two years. So many people have so much runway that I think we'll see prices be cut more willingly when people need to sell, which should be an interesting dynamic. Uh, but historically, prices don't really like to move. But I think we will see movement just because so much money was made in terms of their investments uh, over the past two years. That gives a little optimism on seeing prices maybe come down on the existing side, at least. Well, it goes back to what you said. I mean, so far, we haven't seen any. We started to see layoffs and 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 job loss and things like that. But if that, that's really what I'm looking at now is if we start to see a lot of layoffs and people out of work, that that's, that's when the motivation really kicks in for people that are living in homes. But the challenge too is on the rental side, you know, rents have, <laughs> rents have done the same thing. So even if somebody were to sell and they were to go rent, uh, there's not very many rentals and rents have doubled. So it's kind of people would yeah. rather it's more it's cheaper for somebody to stay in their home than it is to it than it is to sell and, and then go find a, a rental property. Uh, so I, I'm yeah. just 
I mean, the leads on the people that are living in homes have become a little bit more challenging than those that are that are vacant or a landlord that doesn't live in the home. Uh, so I've I've seen the flow change since rates have kicked kicked up. Well, you know what's interesting is this doesn't apply to the masses, but I think what you're not what you're going to see, what you're seeing is the creative options are taking off. And what I mean is um, when the pandemic hit and like when rents are high, uh, RV sales and travel trailer sales are going up. You know, everybody wants an RV all of a sudden because it's just it's changed everything. You can travel now and. If we can't afford rent, well, hey, can we get a trailer to stay at the in-laws place, you know, until things are more affordable again? And with building, with construction, the lumber crisis caused more um, alternative construction methods like 3D printed concrete homes. That's booming, you know. And so there's a lot of creative options. I think the people that are willing to explore something besides, hey, let's just go look for another standard stick built home in the MLS at whatever price it is. Um yeah, there's, there's a lot of options out there. Anyways, we're about out of time. Uh, a couple really quick things before we wrap it up. We're not going to talk about the headlines, but I want uh, our audience just to know in case you missed this in the news, in case you're under a rock, um, a couple interesting things that happened. Open Door lost nearly $1 billion in Q3. Yes, there's billion with a B. Um, so we'll put a link in the show notes so you can go check out their financial reports. Um, Tyler, I said we aren't going to discuss it. I'll ask you real briefly, any thoughts on that? It's just, it's wild. What is wild? I mean, Zillow already cut bait and they got out of the business. Redfin's doing the same. And, you know, I've been saying for years, it's not a matter if, it's a matter of when. I mean, they just can't sustain the business model. And a lot of their inventory was purchased back in May, June at the height of the market. And uh, a little bit of a pullback, which we've had. I mean, there. I don't know. I, I just, to me, their the economics of their business model just does not make sense. So it's good for smaller mm -hmm. investors uh, over time. I mean, this is to me, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing for people like myself mm -hmm. that have had to compete with the big boys. So it's going to play yeah. out, and I just, I just don't think it's going to end well. Um, power to so. the people. I mean, What's obviously, that? That, I said power to the people. It's. Not to, I, I don't want to dismiss, a lot of people are losing their jobs. If you're working for Open Door or Redfin, you know, that, you know, Redfin, that was the other headline. They got out of the house flipping business. Right. But, you know, that sucks if you're in that. Well, and Zillow, Zillow timed it perfectly. When they announced getting out, you know, they still had a couple months of, of runway to get rid mm -hmm. of a lot of their inventory, which they were able to do. And that was back in the spring before we actually had the pullback. So, their timing was perfect in terms of them doing what they did and being able to still get rid of stuff without a huge loss. Yeah, that's a good point. We recently looked at the iBuyer data just over time, like historically, like how much share they made of the market and the volume. And they're basically at, as a, accounting for all of them, obviously they pulled out about 20% of the peak they were doing in volume. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just a, uh, not a huge surprise to, to hear that open door number, even though it is super shocking hearing a B next to it, uh, which is interesting though, because you're seeing other big investors move in, but their model is a little bit different where they're buying to rent through maybe the more term, like uh, the painful period. And then once homes start appreciating again, they can get the price appreciation and then probably cash out, but you have to be mm -hmm. super well capitalized to do it. But, you're seeing phones, people yeah. start to position themselves for that. Hmm. Now, the, the other bigger good news from if you're an agent out there, you know, our market was 25 to 30 percent, but they list their own stuff. So 
agents on the listing side were struggling, but with the iBuyers going away, it now opens up a lot of opportunities for agents because there's going to be a lot more listings to be had. Tyler's over in Tucson just throwing a party right now, this crystal yeah. ball. So it, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's, finally. It, at the end of the day, it's it's a good thing for, this, for agents and the smaller investors. Yeah, it's encouraging for you guys. Um, less competition. All right, well, that's it for... Um, that's it for the show. Just kidding. Uh, we're bringing back tips that actually work. This is something we did on Behind the Deal. So if you've been following us for any length of time and you were with Carrot for Behind the Deal, uh, we did tips that actually work. And so we want to give you guys listening just a really quick tactical uh, tip, something you can implement in your business. They're usually around marketing, something you do to your website, pretty uh, tactical or technical. Uh, this one's a little bit different. It's actually a quote. Um, a recent Carrot Camper came, to, you know, came out to Carrot HQ and shared this quote from Mark Twain. I love it stuck with me the past month or two and it's worked for me um i'm gonna botch it but here we go it's if you have a if your goal is to swallow a frog then swallow it first thing in the morning if your goal is to swallow two frogs then swallow the bigger one first and so i say that because i know that a lot of people listen to this podcast myself included have a hard time focusing prioritizing there's always a million shiny things going on and so tackling that really hard thing uh, first early in the day and getting it out of the way uh, gives you a serious amount of, amount of momentum. And then when you're overwhelmed, if it's like you got two big things in your plate, five big things, take the biggest one first. It's just really simple. So I love that quote. My wife and I was joking about like, what do we do? Well, what's the frog? Which one's the frog? Swallow the frog. So. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Share this with a friend if you thought it was valuable. And uh, we'll see you on the next Market Harvest. Tyler, Nick, thank you guys so much for hopping on and sharing your wisdom with the audience. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll see you guys. Yeah, we'll see you guys later.